Okay, so we are live. Uh, he did say he was going to bring us the uh, sponsors. I guess we'll do the sponsors later. Thank you very much for your info. And um, yeah, so let me just do this dedication. Uh, dedication number one in my personal dedications is for Razel Bas Miriam or Rafua Shalema, Sterna Mezani Simcha Bas Tivia Rafua Shalema. And also tonight is the yard site of a very, very dear friend of mine, um, Marion Nelvin. So uh, yeah, I just want to dedicate this class to her too. Okay, now that we got the dedications here, let's go. So today's title is After Death. Why did I call it After Death? Because this week's Torah portion is called Achremot, After the Death Of. So uh, the title is After Death, Embracing the True Gift of Life. Okay, so let's start with the modern day issue. Let's talk about what, what this class is gonna do for us personally in our practical lives. Then we'll get mystical, then we'll come back to the practicality. Okay, so let's talk about God's law of gravity is that whatever goes up has to come down. In lieu of this law, everything that happens physical is a reflection of the spiritual. So God's desire is that every spiritual inspiration of yearning to the above, to spirituality, to God, must manifest in itself in a physical action down here below. So, you know, emotions, inspirations are like fragrance, strong, powerful. If you don't bottle it in a, and manifest it in an action, it's going to just drift away. Okay, so spirituality, emotions, and inspirations are all but fuel, which needs to pass through the fuel injection line into the motor of actions. Otherwise, the fuel is a powerful and even pleasurable waste of time and energy. Filled with promises, dreams, goals, and aspirations, but with no dividends or any returns at all. So inspiration is very important, right? Can't start a fire without a spark. That's the lyrics to some song. And uh, nevertheless, you know, just to have inspiration isn't, isn't enough. We've got to take it to the next level. In Jewish mysticism, the ebb of inspiration, which does not lead directly into the flow of action, is called death. As the soul which leaves its body. Yet how often, let's get personal, how often... Do we read books of Torah inspiration, secular self-help, or biographies of those who have succeeded? We feel alive with hope and with inspiration, but to have the balloon of action popped and the ear of inspiration escaping. That's what it's all about. That's the true frustration, getting inspired. And it comes to a point where as you're getting inspired, you're already, oh my God, I'm going to get hurt again. I'm going to want, I'm going to start feeling alive, I'm going to get frustrated with my present situation, I want to move into something real, and boom, I'm, going to, I'm just going to fall again. <laughs> Once I asked a friend, what's your resolution, you know, you're supposed to make a resolution on high holidays, he told me my resolution is not to make any more resolutions, <laughs> I've been hurt enough. So yeah, that's the pain. So in this lecture we are going to explore the after death in how we resurrect after the escaped inspiration to truly live a better life. The lecture is based on a talk, not a mimer, it's actually just a talk, of the Rebbe delivered in 1965, exploring the opening verse of our Torah portion, which is, and I quote, and God spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons. Okay? 
So now we know what the practical, the practical issue that we're going to deal with through all these mystical concepts. We're going to talk about the plain and simple practical issue of we get inspired, we want to make a difference, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and we're all huffing and puffing, but we can't blow the house down. We just can't get it into action. Some people have an inspiration, the next thing you know, 100. And then there are some people that, you know, inspiration, idea is unbelievable, but, yeah, popped balloons, air going all over the place. Okay, let's do an introduction to why this topic. This week's Torah portion is a continuation of three Torah portions ago. So let's talk about this for a moment, okay? The end of the book of Exodus was talking about the building of the tabernacle. Begins the book of Leviticus, which talks about different sacrifices. And then we go into the third Torah portion of the book of Leviticus. And what do we have there? We have there, it's called Shemini, the eighth day, because there was an inauguration that took place. And the eighth day was Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That's when they started the whole to-do. And what happens on that day? In Pasha Shmini, we have the sad story of how Aaron's two sons um, got close. They approached the altar when they weren't commanded to. They brought foreign incense, which they weren't commanded to. And all of a sudden, a fire shot forth from the incense on the altar, entered their nostrils, and took their lives. Thus, this... Then, by the way, parenthetically speaking, after that, we start talking about the laws of animals. After that, we start talking about the laws of humans, purity, impurity, leprosy, and all that. And then we get back to this week's Torah portion, which is the commandment, which we just said, God tells Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. So we're jumping back. Okay? So this is a continuation. Now, what's the story? Our sages wonder. What do they wonder about? They wonder why such a harsh time reference. And God told Aaron, and Moses, tell Aaron, this is what you got to do. But no. Moses, after the death of Aaron's two sons, that's pretty harsh. God told me to tell you after your sons died, you know, it's kind of sore. So they explain as follows. And here, here's what Rashi quotes from the Medrash, and I'll just share it with you. What does this teach us when it specifies after the death of Aaron's two sons? Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, by the way, you should remember that name from your Haggadah. You remember the man who said, I am like 70 years old? Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, that's him. Illustrated the answer with a parable of a patient whom a physician came to visit. I'm reading to you the actual teaching. The physical said that the physician said to him, do not eat cold foods and do not lie, die, that lie down in a cold, damp place. Okay. Then another physician visited him and advised him, do not eat cold foods or lie down in a cold, damp place so that you will not die the way Mr. So-and-so died. So obviously this one warned that patient more effectively than the former. Therefore scriptures say, after the death of Aaron's two sons, Meaning, God effectively said to Aaron, do not enter the holy in a prohibited manner so that you will not die as your sons died. That's the end of the first Rashi. 
Rashi tells us in the name of Rabbi ben Azariah that the reason is because God is giving a harsh warning. Not just to Aaron, don't do this. Aaron, don't do this so you don't die like your sons died. That's pretty harsh. Knowing Aaron, why would you even have to get so harsh? We'll talk about that in a moment. I want to read to you another Rashi in the next verse. And the Lord said to Moses, and what does Rashi explain? Speak to your brother Aaron that he should not come at all times into the Holy of Holies so that he should not die the way his sons died. So here we're seeing our sages tell us that Hashem is specifically emphasizing don't do this so that you don't die the way your sons died when they did it. That's pretty harsh. Okay? Now, question. What the two sons did? Nadav and Avihu. Aaron had four sons, right? Nadav, Avihu, Allah and Yisamar. Two of them did this on the inauguration day and they died, right? And he was left with two sons. Now, what they did, was it holy or was it not holy? Half right. It was holy, but the issue wasn't the timing. Let's talk about it. But very, you're on the right track. So, from the simple approach, it seems to be that what they did was unholy and incorrect. And therefore, Hashem is there, is telling their father, don't do what they did. So you don't, it doesn't happen to you, what happened to them. Because what they did was so wrong that it was punishable by death. That's a simple way of looking at it. But it can't just be so. Because let me read to you what the verse in Parshas Shmini, right after the story, let me read to you what Moses told Aaron, what the verse says, and what our sages explain. So not only was it holy, we're now going to see that it was super holy. Let's talk about it. The verse. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke when he said, I will be sanctified through those near to me, and before all the people I will be glorified. He's saying that I, I knew, as God told me, that the inauguration was going to happen with such an incident. Comes along Rashi and says, where did God ever tell Moses that there was going to be two people dying and that would be the sanctification? Hey? So he says like this, I'm quoting to you Rashi. This is what the Lord spoke. Rashi says, but when did he speak? It is when he said, and I will meet with... with oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know how that just happened. Um... Oof. Yeah, <laughs> he's telling me I'm having trouble with the connection. All right. So this is what the Lord spoke. But when did he speak? It was, it was when he said, and I will meet with the children of Israel and it will be sanctified through my glory. The verse says the word glory is bikvodi. Comes along our sages and say, do not read bikvodi through my glory, but read bimchubadai through my honorable ones. Now watch what happens. This is Rashi. I'm quoting to you, Rashi. Moses said to Aaron, Aaron, my brother, I knew that this house was to be sanctified through the beloved ones of the omnipresent, but I thought it would be either me, through me, or through you. Now I see that they, Nadav and Avio, were greater than I or you. What a twist. This is not Kabbalah Hasidus. This is Rashi telling us what it means when Moses spoke to Aaron right after it happened. So simply speaking, we talk about that the two sons of Aaron sinned, and because they sinned, therefore they died. Now all of a sudden we're hearing a whole different picture here. It was, so to speak, I don't want to use these words because it's so not Jewish, 
but it was, so to speak, human sacrifice that sanctified the holy temple. What's going on here? Okay. Thus, on one hand, we're hearing that their services were super holy. They were the ones that God chose greater than Moses and Aaron in order to sanctify the holy temple with their lives. And on the other hand, we're hearing that it was a sin and they were punished by death. We're going to explore this further on. One introduction. Another question. Another introduction we're going to have here. One the last one. The Torah and its mitzvahs are eternal. And what does that mean? It is one of the fundamental beliefs that Torah, which Moses brought us, is eternal and that it never changes. Right? All the laws of Kashrut, doesn't make a difference which country you are, where you are. The laws of Shabbat, it's, it's eternal. Now, however, presently, just that you know, presently, when we're not in Israel as a whole nation, and we don't have the Holy Temple, we have way less than a half of the 613 mitzvahs that we can do. Over half the mitzvahs, well over half the mitzvahs of the 613 mitzvahs, we simply cannot do. It is dependent upon the land, dependent upon the majority of the people in quantity and quality being in Israel and having the Holy Temple. So the question is, how can we say that the Torah is eternal and is in the mitzvahs and are eternal in every place, in every situation, when for almost 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years, we didn't have over half of the mitzvahs being applicable. Now remember, the Torah was given 3,300 and something years ago, right? In the year 2448. We're now in the year 5779. That means from when the Torah was given to us, we had more time that it was not applicable, most of the mitzvahs, than it was applicable. So how can we say that the Torah and its mitzvahs are eternal? And they're wherever you are. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Yes, we're going to talk about that right now. Okay? So, very good what you just said. Thus, Hosea tells us on the verse, Take words of Torah with yourself and let us render for bulls the offering of our lips. Right? Our lips will go ahead and it will make up, pay up for what we should have done physically. It gets more than that. The Talmud in Tractic Menachot says, it's the closing of the Tractic. Resh Lakish, Resh Lakish is a very interesting person. His name was Rabbi Shimon. Resh Lakish used to be a thief. And he saw Rabbi Yochanan um, taking a bath and he wanted to rape him. And he jumped from the tree. And Rabbi Yochanan said, if you leave me alone and you change your ways, my, my sister who's an orphan, if you really change your ways, I'll let her be your wife. And he ended up becoming one of the greatest scholars and one of the greatest pious people. You always have the arguments and opinions between Rosh Lakish and Rosh and Now you know the two brother-in-laws. He was no simple person, Rosh Lakish. So, he says like this, What is the meaning of that which is written? This is the law, the Torah of the burnt offering, of the meal offering, and of the sin offering, and of the guilt offering, and of consecration offering, and of the sacrifice of peace offerings. What does it mean? This is... This teaches that anyone who engages in Torah study is considered as though he sacrificed a burnt offering, a meal offering, a sin offering, and a guilt offering. That means, what are we hearing now? 
that the mitzvahs which we cannot presently do physically, through studying Torah, we observe them. What does it say? Hashem says it will be considered as though. So we're saying that we can observe and we can observe and fulfill through studying the laws of the mitzvah in the Torah. Thus, the mitzvot are eternal through the Torah, because today you and I sitting here talking about the laws of the parsha of Yom Kippur when going into the holy of holies, God's considering it as if we right now are bringing incense in the Holy of Holies and all the deeper concepts of that physical mitzvah. It's as if we did it physically. We're going to explain this further on. Okay? Okay, now let the lecture begin. So the way we work over here in this lecture is I'm going to give you a list of mystical concepts that we need to understand. And then from there, we're going to come back to the practical issue we started off with. How come so many of us, we have such great inspiration and everything, but then fizzes out before it becomes a real. Okay, the list is one, ebb and flow, rotsu and shuv. Two, eternal infinite Torah in a finite world. Three, the verse says, the verse right after the verse that I quoted to you, it's at verse number three says, Bezois, with this shall Aaron enter to the holy. In other words, God tells us that if you just come in there, not, not according to the law, you're going to die like your sons. But Bezois, on Yom Kippur, if you don't come in empty-handed, but you do the incense exactly the way the Torah prescribes it, you'll be okay. Bezois, Yavoy. By the way, just that you know, Rashi tells us something interesting. Rashi usually doesn't do this, but he tells us that the word Bezot numera numer numerically equals 410. Right? Tough, Zion, Aleph, Beis. 400, right? 7, 1, 3. So you should know that 410, Rashi says, Hashem is hinting to us how long the temple was going to stand. 410 years. And that's how many years the high priest is going to go in. But either way, the next and last thing is we're going to talk about the Shabbat after Passover. Because this year we're reading the portion Achrei, the Shabbat after Passover. What's the correlation? Okay, let's jump right into it. Whew. To understand the seemingly contradiction whether what Nadav and Avio did was super holy or whether it was simply unholy to the point of being punishable by death, to understand this contradiction, we're going to have to talk about one of the most famous stories in the Talmud. What is one of the most famous stories in the Talmud? So if you don't know all the details to the story, let me ask you a simple question. You shouldn't study Kabbalah until what age? 40. Uh-huh, 40. Where does that come from? A story in the Talmud. What's the story in the Talmud? So, um, huh? Yes, that's exactly the story we're going to talk about. So I'm going to read to you actually straight from what the Gemara says. It's the Gemara in Chagiga. The beginning of the story is on page 14, side B, and the continuation is on page 15, side B. So let me read it to you inside. The sages taught, four entered the orchard, the pardes. In other words, dealt with the loftiest secrets of Torah. And they are as follows. Ben Azai, Ben Zoma, by the way, both their names were Shimon. Acher, Acher just means the other. But his real name was Elisha Ben Abua. You actually have him in the Ethics of Our Fathers. And Rabbi Akiva, who was a senior among them. So Rabbi Akiva said to them, When upon your arrival in the upper worlds, you reach pure marble stones, do not say water, water, although they appear to be water, because it is stated, he who speaks falsehood shall not be established before my eyes. Obviously, even though it's a piece of Talmud, this is mystical. And just know that when you look at those pages of the Gemara, the Gemara talks about 
the greatest uh, mystical sages revealing that which Ezekiel was talking about when he talks about the prophecy of the chariot. Okay? So, we're talking about great secrets here, and I'm going to try to explain what we need to know as best as possible. But obviously, there's deep stuff going on here. There's no marble stones in heaven. There, what's water? What does it mean? Obviously, he's talking about spiritual stuff. But let's go further. The Talmud proceeds to relate what happened to each of them. Ben Azai glimpsed at the divine present and died. And with regard to him, the verse states, Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his pious ones. Ben Zoima glimpsed at the divine and was harmed. He lost his mind. And with regard to him, the verse states, Have you found honey? Eat as much as it is sufficient for you, lest you become full from it and vomit it. Obviously, he went too much. <coughs> Excuse me. Acher chopped down the shoots of saplings. What the Gemara is hinting is that Acher left the religion. He became a, uh, he became a Pekoris, a heretic. And what is the end? Oh, I see. I, I missed words over there. Rabbi Akiva came out safely. <coughs> so of the four, three were harmed. The fourth is Rabbi Akiva. He's the only one that went in safely and came out safely, as we're soon going to see. Thus, the question I asked you about 40, it doesn't mean 40 years old, because uh, you can be 40 years old, and then what did you do for 40 years? But it means what Maimonides teaches about the story. One should not take a walk in the orchard until he has eaten fish and meat. Fish and meat is the Talmud, the laws. Get yourself grounded. Then go for a walk in the, in the orchard. Okay? Now, we're going to skip ahead. The Gemara goes into other issues. And then the Gemara returns on the next page. I want to just read to you that little paragraph. The Talmud returns to the four who entered the orchard. It is, said above, it is stated above that. Rabbi Akiva... Excuse me. Rabbi Akiva ascended in safety and descended safely. With the God to him, the verse states, Draw me, we will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. That's, a, that's from King Solomon, the verse in Songs. The Talmud relates, And even Rabbi Akiva, the ministering angel, sought to push him out of the orchard. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to them, Leave this elder, for he is fit to serve my glory. Okay? Now we need to understand what exactly is going on in this story. What's really going on here? These sages weren't your local rabbis. These sages were Talmudic sages. My grandfather of a blessed memory once told me that there's a, a tradition that any sage that's quoted in the Talmud was able to perform a resurrection of the dead. And that's how pious and powerful and spiritual he was. <laughs> what happened here? One dies, one goes crazy, Another one leaves the religion. Acher. What's going on here? You probably heard Acher. By the way, there's a, it's not an Orthodox rabbi, but there's a rabbi that wrote a novel called As a Driven Leaf. It's the story of Elisha ben Abur. It's the story of Acher. How he saw a child, his father telling him, go up and get shoo away the mother bird. And as he was going up, he fell and died. There's only two mitzvahs in the Torah where it clearly tells us what the reward is. Honor your father and mother so that you have long life. Shoo away the mother bird before you take its, its uh, little ones uh, so that you have long life. He was doing the two mitzvahs that promised him long life. He fell and died. That was where it manifested himself, itself, what really happened when he was in the orchard. And that's when he left the religion. Okay? He became a heretic. So, question number one. What's really going on here with these sages? Question number two. The Gemara says Rabbi Kiva ascended in safety and descended safely. 
What do you mean he ascended? Of course, everyone ascended safely. Everyone left the gravity zone, <laughs> you know, the gravity force safely. It was that they didn't return safely. And yet it emphasizes here that Rabbi Kiva is different in that he ascended and descended. So obviously Rabbi Kiva's ascent was also different than the others. Okay? Now, let's go ahead and understand what is going on here. So the four ascended. What does it mean they ascended? They were studying. What it means is that through entering into the orchard, through dealing with the loftiest concepts in Hasidus and in Kabbalah and in the chariot, what was going on here? It is through this, the intense experience of ebb, the yearning to leave beyond the physical body, the casing, to go beyond the physical finite environment and to want only to jump into the bosom of God. Another way of looking at this is the soul is a candle, the flame of the candle. When you bring a flame next to a big fire, what happens? The flame is jumping off the wick. So too the soul is a flame of the mother flame, so to speak. And when the soul gets too close to the mother flame, when you're really experiencing, remember, they didn't just study intellectually. They were what they were studying. Thus, when they entered into this deeper study of the chariot, what happened was, it was their soul, the flame, was jumping off the wick, returning into the bosom. Thus, when they came back here, they were different. One never came back. One came back, you know, physically not well, mentally. And the other one came back spiritually, mentally not well. And that's what it's really all about. The ebb was too strong. Another way of looking at it, if you want to get a deeper mystical insight to what was happening, the life force, everything is alive. What does it say? Just as the soul fills the body, gives life to the body, so too does God fill and give life to everything. Thus, the life force of divinity, which shines into this world to give it, to vivify it, and to, to sustain it, when you're dealing with that finite light, because we're, we're finite beings, if you go ahead and stick an infinite life force into a finite being, you're going to have, you know, haywire. So you're going to have a bunch of human Mexican beings jumping around the place. It's not going to work. It's going to short. So what happens? What happens is that there's a contraction upon a contraction upon a contraction. So from the infinite light, there's the expression light. And from the expression light, there's a array of array of array. And there's a reflection of that which shines into this world. And when we talk about spirituality, when you see people getting excited, oh my God, I was at the Grand Canyon, I felt spiritual, or whatever it is. I was in the birthing room and I saw the birth of twins after people didn't have kids for 22 years. Whatever the miracle is, whatever you feel that you see God, what you're looking at is a pale reflection of a ray, of a ray, of a ray, of the, of the finite expression light of the infinite light. Here they're studying my Samarkava. Here they're not studying about the life force of the universe. They're talking about the infinite light. So when they realize what they're connecting with as a soul and a body is such a pale, finite nothingness compared to the infinite light, 
So right there and then, the soul says, I'm out of here. It jumps off the wick of that finite ray of array of array of array into the bosom of the infinite light. Thus getting too close made them not be able to contain the flame on the wick. And this expressed itself in each of them differently. One by dying, one by going uh, crazy, and one by uh, going spiritually crazy. Yeah, but the, for example, Moshe, when he saw the burning bush, he we'll, we'll talk about all this in a moment. Let me just run a, a monologue, and then I promise you I'll stay for, for a dialogue. I just want to stay focused here for a moment. And, and by the way, just a, I heard what you asked, so I'm just going to quickly answer you. My Maimonides clearly says that Moses was the only human being who was able to talk face to face with God. He's a different category of a prophet. But let's, let's not get into questions now. Uh, do I have another one? I don't know if I have another one. Here. Okay. So let's, let's go back to what we're talking about now. Okay? And I don't mean to cut you short. It's just that I, I need to keep the, the whole thing flowing. So what goes on here? What goes on here is that they all ascended and weren't able to descend safely. However, in the true depth of the, of the situation, it wasn't how they descended that made the difference. It was how they ascended. What was different? What was different was that Rabbi Akiva when he entered into the ebb, it was all about the follow-up flow. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva was a person who was, you know, he was willing to die for God. Rabbi Akiva's point was, I'm not doing this to have spiritual pleasure, experience, bliss, overwhelming, climax. No. I'm doing this for only one reason. So that when we finish this, and I'm going to go do a mitzvah and help another person or put on tefillin or davin or learn or whatever mitzvah I'm going to do, I'm going to do it with so much more intensity of feelings and devotion because of the ebb yearning that I just experienced. Thus, his whole ebbing was for no other reason than for flowing. His whole ascending was focused on what the descent will be. Thus, when you're focused like that, you ascend safely, you'll descend safely. The problem with the other sages were, they didn't ascend safely. When they were ascending, they didn't realize, or we'll soon talk about this, uh, realize, <laughs> you and I realized they didn't. But what happened was, they weren't focused on coming back to Houston. They were just, let's get out of the gravity force. Let's just get out. Now, I want to point out to you, there's an interesting teaching about Ben Azai, Ben Zoma. They weren't married. According to one opinion in the Talmud, um, one was married and got divorced, and they asked him why. And he says, what should I do? Nafshi My soul desires, it yearns to study Torah. Being married, having children, having the responsibilities of a family is getting the way in that. So you see that their attitude in general, their spirituality was to ebb without flow. The more the ebb, the better. That's super spiritual. So therefore, the difference between the two, the, the four, the two categories, the three sages were on an ebb mission. Rabbi Kiva was on a flow mission. 
Thus his ebbing was done safely in order to be able to flow safely. Ebbing up, flowing down. While the others, they got what they were looking for. They ebbed to the point of no return. They ebbed to the point of no flow. According to Kabbalah and Hasidus, this is exactly what happened with the two sons of Aaron. Thus you see in the verse, that in our verse when it says, after the death of the, of the sons of Aaron, it says then, when they drew near before the Lord. Drew near. Again, we're talking about the flame getting too close, the, the candle flame getting too close to the mother flame. And what happens according to Kabbalah and Hasidus, the word before the Lord actually means even higher than the name of God and the essence of God. It all means that they got too close. Thus, on a spiritual level, they're super spiritual. Nadav and Avil got so close, drew near, before, which means above the name, the ineffable tetragrammaton, which is the highest name of God. Thus, they were dealing with the essence now, beyond the, the expression. So the outcome was that the flame just jumped right off the wick. According to this understanding, what are we seeing? Their death wasn't a punishment. Their death was the fulfillment of what they were looking for. Thus, we now understand the opinion that says it was super holy. Now we understand what Rashi is saying, that Moshe Beiru tells Aaron that they are greater than you and I. They reach places that you and I haven't reached. And that's the way the, soul, the, 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 the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was sanctified by such a type of human sacrifice. Not that a human was killed, God forbid. But to the point of such an intensity of love and yearning, where the flame just left the body. And thus Rashi, by the way, not in my nose, but just Rashi, going back to the story in Shmini, when, when Moses said, Aaron and you, you can't deal with the dead bodies because you're, you're the only Kohanim here. So we're going to have to have your uncles deal with it. It says, and the uncles took them out with their clothing. Biktunatam. So Rashi immediately tells us, from here we see that nothing was burnt. It entered their nostrils and, and the soul left. This wasn't a death of a punishment. This was the outcome of an ebb beyond flow. Of a closeness beyond the point of return. Thus we understand that they're super holy. Now we can go ahead and understand the next thing. Now we can understand what, what Moshe Rabbeinu is being told to tell them. To tell Aaron. Don't do that. Don't do that. What they did, they did. And that's the way it was sanctified. But you should know that what I want is spirituality that will drive you into action. Thus, I want an ebb that will do most importantly empower the flow. Now the question is, this is a beautiful piece of what the Rebbe explains here. The question is why the harsh warning, Moshe Benu could have told told Aaron the same thing without pouring salt on the wound. Don't die like your kids died. They just died, remember? Huh? Why the harshness? 
The Rebbe has a rule in Rashi. If Rashi tells you the name of the sage, there's something to be understood from the name of the sage. Rabbi Lezeb ben Azariah was 18 years old when he became like 70, right? And he became the leader of the generation. A whole story that Rabbi Gamaliel did something to Rabbi Yeshua, so they, they impeached him, whatever, a whole story there. Who was he? He was a phenomenal scholar. At 18, the older sages appointed him as their Rosh Bet-Din, Av Bet-Din, their, their leader. He was, by the way, the story is that the reason why he was able to become such a great scholar is because his father, Rabbi Loza ben Azariah, Azariah was extremely wealthy and he supported his brother. The Talmud tells us his brother was able to study Torah because he was so wealthy and he supported him. How much more so he supported his son. Thus, Rabbi Loza ben Azariah is of the opinion that children are who they are because their fathers are who their fathers are. Many other fathers would have told their son, listen, 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 we'll give other people money to learn. You join me in the business. So obviously, Azariah had a different mindset and he gave that mindset and love for the Torah and Torah study to his son, Elazar. So Elazar is of the opinion that you are what you are, the tree, the, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree and the healthier the tree, the fruit, the greater you understand the health of the tree. Thus he says like this, Aaron's two children, their, their love, awe, and yearning for God came from their father, which means that Aaron embodied an even greater intensity of love, awe, and yearning to be one with God. Thus Hashem has to tell him harshly, I know that this is not easy for you. I'm telling you to go into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, bring incense. And I'm telling you, curb yourself, contain yourself. Don't go too far. Don't ebb beyond the point of flow. Thus, Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah says, knowing who the father is through his sons, we know that Hashem had to really express and emphasize, don't do it. This is what you're made up of, but don't do it. Thus Hashem tells him harshly, don't die the way your son died, because that's not what my goal for the Jewish people is. I don't want them to be so spiritual that they're jumping off rooftops. No, I want them to be so spiritual that they'll be successful doctors, successful lawyers who study Torah every day and do mitzvahs every day. That's what I want. I want the ebb to drive a flow. Not that the ebb should be isolation and running away from the flow. And thus Hashem tells it to him harshly. Let's go now to the next concept. We spoke about eternal. The Torah is eternal, right? And we asked the question, how can the Torah be eternal? If we have the mitzvahs, most of the time that the mitzvahs were in our hands, we couldn't even do close to half of them. Right? And Michelle, right, your name? Mm -hmm. And Michelle tells, quoted to us the verse from Hosea, and then we quoted the Gemara, Menachis, that by studying Torah, it's considered as if you did it. So when you study the laws of the sacrifice of Ola, even though today you're not allowed to bring an Ola, A, we're not in Israel, B, there's no temple, C, there's no Kohen, and then even I am a Kohen, it's going to be with impurity, not allowed to. Nevertheless, when you study the laws, it's as if. 
So therefore what we see over here is in the teachings of Hasidus and Kabbalah, the difference between mitzvot and Torah study is that mitzvot are defined in a very finite description. There's the who, the when, the how, the how much. And if you don't do it exactly as the description for each of those categories, then you should know the mitzvah was not done. So I give you an example quickly of each one of those categories, okay? Here, let me look at this. Okay, let's look over here. So, for example, a woman putting on tefillin, bringing a sacrifice outside of the Bet HaMikdash, sounding the shofar on Passover instead of Rosh Hashanah, using an electric menorah on Hanukkah, or eating only one bite of matzah. I gave you an example right here of the who, right? The when, the where. I'm right here on page five. I'm on the one, two, three, four, the fourth uh, paragraph. You'll see over there. So I'm giving you an example where the actions are good, but they're not done in the correct who, when, where, how, how much. So they're just not a mitzvah. The great Rogachev once said, Blow show you from Rosh Hashanah. It accomplishes the greatest spiritual stuff. It's actually called in our sages mitzvah gedoyla, a big mitzvah. And usually sages don't talk about which is big and which is not. He said, blow it the day after Rosh Hashanah and you're playing a trumpet. So mitzvahs are so defined, so finite, so descriptive of what has to be done and what doesn't have to be done. While Torah study is not. Torah study can be done by whomever, wherever, whenever. When I say wherever, I'm being loosely. You know, I'll study Torah in a bathhouse or a bathroom. But I'm just saying in general. It's not, it's not an issue of whomever, wherever, whenever, however, however much. One learns a Mishnah, one learns 40 pages. It doesn't have those, those definitions of, of this and not that. Thus, we now are hearing that the Torah is the infinite ebb. And mitzvot are the finite physical flow. Right? That's how we can say this. Now let's go back to that teaching. Because the Torah study is the infinite ebb of whomever, wherever, whenever, however, how much ever, that means that right now, you're a Kohen? You're not a Kohen. It's right now nighttime. You're right now in Miami. Right? And it's the 27th of Nisan. Right now in this class, it's as if you are the high priest on Yom Kippur in Jerusalem, in the Holy of Holies, bringing incense. Because that's the Torah that we're studying right now. So what you're following over here is that there's a very impactful message that God is giving us through this Mot when Aaron's being told. What we're being told over here is that the infinite ebb of the Torah is being driven into the finite physical flow of the mitzvah. I want to be more clear because the Rebbe makes a very clear emphasis here. No, no, right here I'm thinking. Now let's talk about this for a moment. Let's just be clear. Were the sages to tell us in the Gemara, Menachos, that you should know that when you study the laws of tefillin, 
it's as if you accomplished all the spiritual stuff up there that you would have through tefillin. Okay, that makes sense. I'm studying Torah. Thus, I'm affecting some spiritual unifications between the different emanations. And it's as if I just did the, the tefillin. And by the way, that's a perfect example. Because in the Bar Mitzvah Mimer, that every Bar Mitzvah Lubavitcher boy says, it says over there, study Torah, you know, put on tefillin, and I'll consider it as if you study Torah day and night. There's a relationship there. But what I want to just say is, were you to tell me that we're speaking spiritually, no, I understand. That's not what the sages said. It doesn't say here that I will consider it spiritually, everything is happening. What the sages are saying is that God says, if you study the Torah laws of this sacrifice, I will consider it as if you physically performed the mitzvah of bringing the sacrifice. Thus, we're talking about the ultimate ebb, really busting beyond the gravity force, so it doesn't make a difference, any definition. You could be learning about Yom Kippur tonight, you're not a Kohen. You're not in the Holy of Holies. But because you're learning it, it's not that spiritually you're creating the cause and effect of mitzvahs. It's as if you physically just did this mitzvah. Thus we now understand that the ultimate experience is after death. If flow ebb, I'm sorry, if ebb, yearning, spirituality, from our perspective is considered death because the flame leaves the wick, the soul leaves the body, the ultimate embracing the true gift of life is to have the after death in which I take all that feelings and inspirations of the ebb and drive it into one nitty gritty flow. And thus the question is always, oh, you're feeling inspired? You're feeling Jewish? Are you very moved by what happened in San Diego, Nebuch? Tell me, what are you going to do about it? Because if it's not what you're going to do about it, okay, so you ebbed, okay, it's death. We need to talk about the after death. What happens after the inspiration of your, I'm out of here, I got the bomb, explosions. Okay, I'm happy that you had a spiritual climax. Now tell me, what are you going to do with that? Thus, the point of studying the Torah and the laws is to drive it down. That's when the flow is driven and manifests itself and empowers, I'm sorry, the ebb is driven and it manifests itself and it empowers the flow. That's the after death. And that's what Hashem is telling Aaron. You're going into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur with the incense has to be the after death. Your sons had a different job. They had to embody the full-blown experience of an ebb beyond the point of a flow. But what I want from you, Kibbezois, I want you to do the ebb in the correct manner, which means that there's an after death. The ebb leads into a flow. Okay? Okay. Let's talk about the next concept. And that is, what does it mean when the verse says, Ki with this, with this shall Aaron enter into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. What is the this? 
We're on page six. By the way, you understand the, the very simple practical implication of this teaching. That right now, right now, all of us sitting here and whoever's joining us through a live feed, right now we're learning about Aaron going into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. Thus we're hearing that Hashem is considering it as if each and every one of us is a high priest, is on Yom Kippur, in the Holy of Holies, bringing incense. Let's talk about the this. What does it mean, kibezois? So I told you Rashi's interesting uh, numer num numerical teaching, the 410 years of the Holy Temple. But let's talk about it now. Practically, what does it mean? Practically, what it means is that God told Moses, tell Aaron, even on Yom Kippur, when, he had, when he's supposed to go into the Holy of Holies, he must come with the incense, specifically the way I'm commanding it to be. These 11 ingredients, this amount of each ingredient, and this is the way it's to be done. So if he does the incense the way I commanded him to do it, and then he goes in, he won't die. Kabbalah and Hasidus have a different interpretation. They say that the deeper message here is, Ki this, this means humility. Think about it. Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah taught us that Aaron's intensity of love, yearning for God, just to be one with God was even greater than his sons. You're taking such a person, you're putting him in the Holy of Holies, on the holiest day, with the holiest service, how do you expect him not to cross the line? The answer is kibizois, humility. I want to share with you more than that. When you have physical pleasure, Whatever it's going to be for you. Music, food, whatever it is. It's very hard to curb yourself. It's very hard to say, okay, no, I'm done, finish, bye. So I want to share with you a Kabbalistic teaching. Kabbalistic teaching says that physical pleasure is the waste of spiritual pleasure after it has been digested and a spiritual bowel movement out. That waste of the spiritual pleasure is what physical pleasure is. Now, we don't need to get graphic here, but it's not hard to imagine the comparison between human feces and the food that you ate. So imagine the greatest physical pleasure that you can experience is nothing more than feces of spiritual pleasure after it was totally digested above. So if physical pleasure, it's hard to control yourself, ourselves. Imagine what it would be if we were able to experience spiritual pleasure. You think we'd stop? <laughs> just one more slice of spiritual chocolate cake. Really, just one more slice. <laughs> and then what ends up? You're at an ebb beyond the point of flow. So Aaron, who appreciated spiritual pleasure, if you and I have a problem putting down the chocolate, uh, you know, what's it called? Uh, that cake, death by chocolate? If you and I have a problem putting down the death by chocolate, can you imagine what it was for Aaron to put down in Yom Kippur, in the Holy of Holies, on Yom Kippur with the incense? Stop. Time to flow. Thus, the answer is kibbezois, humility. What is the definition of humility? Can we get just practical? What's the definition of humility? The definition of humility in its simplest form in any relationship is it's not all about what I want.
there's someone else involved there's what he wants what she wants talking about on a spiritual level in the service of God it's not about what I want not even spiritually the question of a humble person is what is God's will for me what am I supposed to do next when they ascend when ascent they are ascending up into the ebb is totally imbued with that humility of what does God want for me what is the next thing I'm supposed to do then you're insured not only a safe ascent but also a safe descent because the ascent was safe with humility humility is is the seatbelt because it, it had that seatbelt it wasn't about oh am I gonna have a spiritual experience today no it was about God what is your will for me thus your will for me is to have this spiritual experience in order that I should serve you and your creations with greater feelings okay so that's what it's all about okay one more paragraph and that's about Shabbat Passover is really about ebb Passover is an isolation from most of the normal foods that we eat the most of the days are holidays so it's an isolation it's an ebb it's a going away from the regular work days they're not regular work days the first days and last days definitely not even the middle days you're only supposed to do what if you don't do it now you'll never be available to you so it's all about the ebb especially the last day of Passover the last day of Passover is all about focusing and connecting with the energy of Mashiach that's why the Haftorah that we read on the last day of Passover is all about Isaiah's prophecy of the persona the job and the days of Mashiach right so imagine you're building up you're building up you're, you're, you didn't have a slice of pizza ready for who knows how long it's been a very Pesach and you're eating potatoes and chicken and chicken and potatoes you know you're just saying no to a lot of things that you would normally do you haven't gone to work because it's Yontiv and Chalamoid and this and that and then crescendo we go into Mashiach it's all about Mashiach this whole world is just about bringing Mashiach having the ultimate experience with God that's an ultimate ebb and you can get lost in that well not work I'm not going to work no more you know what I'm, I'm cutting down my hours I need to go to yeshiva and learn because I have to bring Mashiach comes the Shabbos after that and says uh-uh-uh-uh uh, 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 uh. take back out the two chalas take back out the work because the whole experience of Pesach flow is that the I'm sorry ebb is that the flow after Pesach should be so much more emotional, passionate, committed, imbued with the wings of love, awe, and commitment. Thus, this year we're reading Achrei, Mois, after death, after ebb, after isolation, after I want out, I just want to be with God, comes the, the work, the Shabbat, the work comes the real six days a week you shall work and the seventh day you shall rest and eat and do everything physically now let's do the in closing okay let's read the in closing in closing let us return to our opening modern day issue our inspiration is all too often an experience of an ebb which sadly never becomes a flow 
great ideas, great aspirations, great hypotheses, and even great research. However, it doesn't move from the inspiration to the practical embodiment. And now we start listening to inspirational speakers tell us that we need to really want it. Like the drowning man who wants a gulp of air. You ever watch that, uh, that speaker? Our whole story. He talks about how the guy, was, he, the guy asked his mentor, how, how do I become successful? Meet me tomorrow morning at the beach. He takes him to the beach and he says, come walk with me. He walks and walks and walks into the ocean. And then he, the mentor grabs the guy's head and holds him down underwater. And, blah, blah, blah. and when he comes back up, he says, you felt how badly you wanted air? When you want success like that, you'll become successful. That's a, that speaker's message, right? And then there's the others that say, if it doesn't hurt where you are, you're not going to get out of it. If you've come to terms, eh, it's okay. Yeah, it could be better. It's okay. When you have that attitude, so then it's okay. <laughs> when things are okay, we don't change things, right? So we're either working on to intensify the inspiration or to intensify the desperation of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we look for ways to intensify our inspiration and desire of making our dreams come true. However, my friends, we are focusing in the wrong area. We're focusing on the ebb. Oh, you know why I didn't make it? Because I wasn't enough inspired. So I've got to deepen my inspiration. You know why I didn't make it? Because I wasn't desperate enough. I've got to really become desperate. That's not the issue. We're focusing on the ebb, and what we're missing is the flow. So what's it going to help to, to listen and buy another four books of Tony Robbins and, and listen to other speakers talk about inspiration? Inspiration is not what's missing. What's missing is the after death. The after inspiration, the flow. <laughs> okay, hold on guys, here's my suggestion. If you listen to me, I presently believe that reading the novel or watching the movie Forrest Gump would help far more with this problem than listening to Tony Robbins or the likes. The latter are more for those who are struggling and having an ebb. The story of Forrest Gump is more of those who are struggling and having a flow, in, with having a flow. The simple message of Forrest Gump is stop trying to outsmart everyone and everything to be humble and just do what needs to be done with a simple and kind heart yes life happens in the after death my my friends in the flow that comes after the ebb thank you